This week on the Zone of Truth, Griff and I discuss the recent updates to the network, unpack the gory details behind Carnival of Tears, an instant fan favorite PC Comstock Paddywhacker, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the Zone of Truth. Yeah, we're back. And we're also Paizo Official. I know! This is our first Paizo Official Zone of Truth, I guess, that we were announced, because we've, we've been Paizo Official for, for a second. <laughs> Just, <laughs> for, uh, for a month. Kept it on the down low. Yeah. Maybe that's that's how I'm going to start it from now on, instead of, and we're back, and we're Paizo Official. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a, what a shitty way to start the show. <laughs> that gets old fast. Yep. But that's really big news. Very exciting. We got a lot to talk about there, Griff. A lot to talk about. Yeah, we do, man. Let's just jump into it today because we do have a long day ahead of us. We absolutely do. We are recording this. Brooks, Emily, and Chris are coming over. We're going to be pounding through a whole bunch more of Carnival of Tears. It's going to take us all day. So let's just go for it. What are you drinking today? In preparation for a long day, and because we're starting the day with this, I'm drinking a Zip Fizz to get myself some caffeine and also to keep my senses sharp for some Link Legacy later. That's right. Yeah, don't want to dull them too early. And I'm pretty much, I'm joining you there. I don't have the Zip Fizz today, but I've got a glass of water. Cool. Well, I have vitamin C in mine, so, and caffeine, so... I'm hoping that that revitalizes me after a late night of video games and White Castle sliders. (laughs) That's true. That is true in that order. Yeah, last night we uh, we had a little movie night on the Discord. Some of our our really good good buddies joined us. We watched a little Paul Blart Mall Cop and Thanksgiving. Both classics. Yeah. Absolute classics. Um, After that, we rolled into a little... Uh, Monster Prom, was it? Yes, it was Monster Prom. We played Monster Prom for conservatively an hour and a half. Yeah, the uh, the two of us and Haley all decided that instead of um, letting the the game do the voices, we were going to do the voices ourselves. It Kinda, actually gives you that option. It yeah. say, do the voices yourself. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I really had a blast doing that, but then we rolled in some White Castle, and uh, I was feeling bad this morning. Yeah, yeah. White Castle will do that to you. Also staying up till 4.30 in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and oftentimes those two things go hand in hand. Yeah. It's hard to find one without the other. Yeah. That's the truth. Um, Speaking of trying to find things that always go hand in hand, I'm going to put on a little Sirenscape today, Griffin. Solid. Um, What am I going to play? Let's see here. It's been a little while since we've been to the masquerade. Um, So I'm throwing on a little Dance of the Damned. There we go. All right. So, Griff, what's new in your life? What's new in my life? Well, the newest thing that we did was you finally came to work out my gym yesterday. Oh, and that's also why I'm hurting this morning. Yeah, that'll... So so break it down for the, for the folks, Griff. What did we do yesterday? Yesterday we did... Yesterday was a B day, so we did squats, then we went into deadlifts, overhead presses, then we did some 
close grip bench, some curls for the girls. Mm-hmm. I think that was about it. I think that's what we got to. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Because there were four of us, so we were... It was you, me, Chris, and Tim, and mm-hmm. we only have one squat rack. We only have one bar. Yeah, so uh, we were... It took us a little while to get through that workout, but it's it's hard for me to pinpoint a muscle in my body that's not not hurting right now. Well, with gyms closed and that kind of thing, it's hard to hard to do squats unless you have a squat rack or know a guy with one. Right? Yeah. Um, all right. So, so so what else is going on? You got any, anything special for the for listeners? You know, no, no, no. I fucking don't. I'll tell you why, listeners, because. This Paizo announcement has been bookended with a shit ton of work <laughs> from from me and Haley, from creating logos to actually prepping Carnival of Tears to running Carnival of Tears to editing Carnival of Tears to getting ahead on the regular show because the holidays are mm-hmm. coming up to figuring out the announcement and the website. And Steve, you were particularly <laughs> involved in the actual press release and that kind of thing and getting the corporate affairs in order and getting the new patreon tiers together it's been hectic man it's been busy (laughs) it has been um so every year on our show it's it's weird at this point that i can say every year that like this has been going on for a little while two years in Uh, a row yeah two years in a row on our show um october is just um a terrible month because we're always doing a bunch of extracurricular crazy stuff. We're, we, we stream more. We, we're getting ready to drop a whole bunch of Halloween Evil interludes every year. It's a lot of fun and we love it. But add that on top of all of the stuff that needed to happen to make the Paizo deal work. And then once it actually got established, like, okay, we need to put out content soon. So we need to get all ready for that. And by the way, a lot of our stuff really needed to get polished up. That website, everything. I mean, I was, I was, Griff, I was writing so damn much. Yeah. <laughs> Press releases, player bios, campaign bios, tons of stuff for the website. I'm glad it's behind us, but it really hasn't let up because we got to record a bunch of Carnival of Tears. You're right. We got to, we got to prep for the holidays that are coming up. Thanksgiving here in the U.S. and uh, Christmas, New Year's approaching not all that long after guess what somewhere we got to slip in some evil interlude recording for that yeah because we're due um that's a lot so yeah i haven't really been watching any tv shows or reading any books that aren't <laughs> paizo books or doing anything besides lifting is the only extracurricular activity i've been doing consistently in this time well, I have been doing some extracurricular activities. Somehow, I still managed to find some free time. So I uh, I started Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Game okay. fucking rocks. I saw that they were coming out with Valhalla, the new one coming out. Actually, I think it dropped already, but uh, it just kind of got me in the mood. I had never played Odyssey before. I bought it a while ago when it was on sale, and I'm loving it. It's really, really cool. Um, Heath from STF turned me on to that one. I was a little unsure. I wasn't crazy about Origins, but here we are. Um, I've also been watching a little bit of TV. I started My Hero Academia. Nice. and Awesome show. I'm only about four or five episodes in, but I'm four or five episodes in plus Ultra. I'm going to start using that now. Oh, yeah? Yes. Okay. Um, it's great. I 
I'm getting a little tired of the anime cliche of like, this is a special high school and I'm in a homeroom and that mm-hmm. kind of crap. Um, I'm getting a little sick of that. But this this show does that in a way that's really refreshing. It makes me laugh a lot, but also it hits me in all the right emotional spots. Like It hits the right story beats that I like to see from an anime to get me invested and really care about these characters. So that's exciting. The hero system in it is just very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that's what keeps me coming back to it is they do a really good job of explaining how the quirks work and how that kind of fits into the overarching hero society and like how different types of heroes are useful in different types of situations and even even going so far as like in season 4 they kind of explain more of like the ranking system because of things that happen it's just interesting to listen to it's an they their world building is really good from that perspective I, I yeah I eat that stuff up and don't spoil it for me cuz I am invested I'm I'm going to watch this through in probably like just a couple weeks um but also I have in October I promised myself I would never go back to it, but I did. (laughs) I started watching American Horror Story again. I had given up season five because that season is uh, came after season four, which was pretty bad. And season five was just absolute dog shit. Was five the The hotel? hotel. Yeah. Yeah. I I only made it through like two or three episodes of hotel. That's where I stopped too. I, I watched Freak Show with Haley and then I stopped at the hotel one. It's just too much there's yeah it, it it has all the worst things about american horror story in that there's so many branching narratives it should have been tightened up there's like weird sexual violence right off the bat it's <laughs> yeah. totally unnecessary yeah. and like they basically just hired lady Ga- like lady gaga who is quite good in the show but basically just hired her so they could shoot every part of her breasts besides her nipples it's like they they really show a lot of her not that i'm really complaining i mean but that seems like all you picked up on season five pretty much but anyway so i i I watched i watched cult which i really ended up enjoying then i watched apocalypse and 1984 which both of those i kind of liked for various reasons but i could um Spend the conservatively the next 30 minutes of this podcast complaining about each season individually. Why do I do this to myself? I don't know. But then I went back because mm-hmm. I had skipped Roanoke season six and Griff. That season fucking rocks. Really? It's so good. I don't know why. I'm surprised to hear you say that because I don't think it got very good critical reception. No, I think people generally don't like it. It's like the the oddball one that people don't like, but it is... The first half of the season is one of the... It's shot like one of those um, Discovery Channel or TLC like dramas where they have like a survivor of, um, of some catastrophe talk to the camera and then they have the dramatic reenactments. So that's how it's shot. The first, the first half of the season is a season of fake television. And it's kind of cool because then you had main characters... And then actors playing those same main characters. But then like the that story wraps up and it apparently becomes such a raving success um, in this fictional universe that the show does that they bring back the survivors of the Roanoke disaster and the actors that played them and set them in the original setting for like a quote unquote season two. That's like it's supposed to be like 
hidden camera style. They go back to this place, um, and then they all start getting murdered. Um, <laughs> Classic. But I'll tell you what, that season fucking rocks. It's so well done. Huh. Yeah, definitely check it out. I I generally um, have a lot of distaste for the show, even though I've watched basically every episode now. Um, but that is a just a really standout standout season. All right, moving on here because we got a lot of housekeeping to talk. Yeah, I think this is just kind of morph through most of the show here. So the Paizo deal's done. Yeah, man. What, is it, what does that mean for us, Griff? What, what does that entail? Immediately that allows us to start actually <laughs> making money from the stuff that we do. So obviously the Hideous Laughter podcast and this, the Zone of Truth and the Evil Interlude all of that stuff we've been doing for free on our main feed for two years, and that's awesome, and we want to continue doing that. But in order to start doing more stuff, as you've heard, mm-hmm. it's been pretty busy, pretty hectic doing that. So the the Paizo deal allows us to actually make content and put it on our Patreon yes. and lets us create more stuff for you guys and financially benefit from it a little bit. Which is great from a growing the show perspective because, geez, we've had a Patreon for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I think we started it in April of last year. Sounds about right. And realistically, every single dime of that <laughs> went into the show. Yes. So, and and that's that's the way we want to continue to do this, but. If we can provide you guys with stuff that you want to pay for, then that brings more money into the show, which allows us to do more stuff. So it's awesome. The folks at Paizo were super kind uh, and wanted to work with us, which, you know, God bless them. Yes. <laughs> and so we set up this uh, this license so we can use all of their content and we get some of their stuff um early which is really cool and access to their entire library of products mm-hmm. which is that, also super cool and that'll that'll be really uh really cool too for future zone of truth right because it was a uh, uh, it'll be a similar situation to like when we reviewed the 2e advanced players guide right now we're not going to get stuff you know super super early but you know a week or two that lets us maybe digest it and and put out a little review or preview about some upcoming stuff and that's really exciting so that's a that's that's a way that it immediately will help benefit the zone of truth right. which is kind of a you know not what we were not what we pursued but it's a, a very cool ancillary benefit to partnering with them right that so, this show is going to get better too yeah the the main thing that we decided would be our first foray into Patreon content is a show we're calling the Linked Legacy Podcast. If you haven't listened to it yet, the first episode of it is free to everyone. It's on the feed. came out last week. But it's kind of an anthology series. We've... Like American Horror Story. Sure, Steve. Sure. We've seen some other groups have a lot of fun with module-based play, and we wanted to take that a step further because we have other GM talent besides me on the show. So the first one in Linked Legacy is Carnival of Tears. That's the first module we decided to play, and that one is run by me. But this show is going to feature other members of the cast as Game Master for other modules. 
We're going to rotate the player base. So, you know, sometimes you might have a different assortment of players on one of the modules. And we're really excited for that because it's going to bring a new table dynamic every time. And it's going to give you, the listener, ideas for what our future could be. If you really like when Haley GM'd something, let us know because that's Mm -hmm. information that we want to have. We want to be able to give that to you to listen to and see if you like it because we could go that direction in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Carnival Tears has been great, but yeah, I can't wait to to run other games and and play in other games. Really dusting off um, some really cool modules that I don't feel like get the recognition that adventure paths do, right? Because everybody knows Carrying Crown. Everybody knows your Hell's Rebels, Hell's Vengeance. Everybody has heard of Iron Gods. But has everybody heard of like the weird, cool module that we talked about last Zone of Truth where like you're, it's called the, the harrowing one where like you yeah. go into like a deck of cards. Like that kind of stuff, you just don't hear as much because people are playing through adventure paths on, on actual plays and playing adventure paths at home with their home games. These modules, there's some cool stuff in there, folks, and we're going to dive into it. Absolutely. So that's kind of the gist of what the Paizo partnership is. And if you check out our Patreon, I would love you to listeners, but uh, see if there's anything in there for you. We changed pretty much all of the tiers up to provide benefits that we thought were fun and interesting. So we'd love feedback, even if you don't decide you want to support. Yeah. And I guess that, yeah, that call to arms, I think is important pretty much for everything we do, right? What kind of what kind of play style do you like here, and um, maybe what kind of system you like here, and uh, does does what would it take for you to move from tier to tier on the Patreon? Uh, is there stuff on the Patreon that you're like, you know, I don't really care for that? That's all info. That's all valuable information. It's not negative, and it, none of that is negative feedback. That is valuable feedback. And so the only way that we're going to keep growing our network and keep the things interesting and relevant for folks is if you tell us what you like. Because if we don't know what you like, we can't give you what you like. And I think that's especially important for how I want to wrap up this little housekeeping segment. I did tease in the Paizo announcement that we are going to be doing a second show in front of the paywall. Yes. We are formalizing our goal around that. Because obviously with the second show, a little bit of financial backing would help that go a long way. But we also want your feedback. So to extend that call to arms, what do you want us to play as an adventure? Let us know. Do you want to hear one of the classic 1E adventures? Do you want to hear us delve into Starfinder? Do you want us to play 2E, play one of the new 2E adventures? Do you want to hear a 1E adventure in 2E? The sky is the limit here. So, except for 5e, I'm not going to play that. Yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> yeah, we don't care what you say. Listen, it took a while to get the Paizo deal formalized. I'm not starting that all over again with I'm Wizards. Spark it up, Wizards. Of no, we're not doing that. But yeah, please. I mean, feel free to even direct me, message me, or hit us up on Discord. Hit us up on one of our social media sites, or. Use the new website and uh, reach out to us via the contact methods there or directly from the site. However you want to reach out to us, I would love to hear what your ideas are and what you'd want to hear for the future of the show. And speaking of the future of the show, it's going to be a long time before we get there. We still have plenty of Carnival of Tears to get through. 
and some really good stuff upcoming that I'm very excited for. But I think we might want to tease uh, who the next uh, module runner is going to be. Griff, you think that would now be an appropriate time just to wet their whistle a little bit? Get yeah, them excited? yeah. What can you expect to hear after Carnival of Tears in terms of GM? Well, folks, you spoke and I listened. Who spoke? A lot of people spoke. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're a all lot saying of, it. A lot of people I'm saying are, it. You're saying a it. A lot of They're people on our it. Discord are saying that I need to get in the GM seat. And I've actually gone back and forth with this over the last couple years. When we first started the show, I was very excited. Like, hey, if we ever grow, that'd be fun for me to start GMing. Because I really don't. Um, and then, you know, I kind of toyed with the idea a little bit more. Maybe about a year ago, I was like, uh, maybe I'm just better as a player. Because I think I'm pretty good as a player. I don't know. Um and then when we threw out this idea for running modules, I said, hey, this might be a good way for me to start getting out of that comfort zone and GM the next linked legacy module. So that's what's happening, people. Which Doing also it. means for the first time on the show, at least for an extended period of time, more than Pavlos and pals, mm -hmm. get to hear me as a player. That's right. That is a... Uh, um, that is very exciting. I can promise you I'm not as shitty of a player as I am as a GM, in, <laughs> at least in terms of uh, antagonism. Well, that remains to be seen. Okay. Um, however, yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm very excited. We have the module picked out. Um, we've got the players pretty much ready to go. We're, they've been talking about classes. I'm not going to reveal the module yet. That's going to have to wait. They know the module. But you don't. Um, it's and, and it's it's going to be a good one. All I'll say is that it's it's a module that I don't think gets enough love. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy. Well, it's going to it's going to your American Horror Story season. Exactly. <laughs> um, it is. All I'll say is that it is um, familiar yet different. We're going to be. That I'm, I'm already I'm already saying too much. I'm already saying too much. It'll be familiar yet different, and I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. But anyway, moving on. So, Griff, when we were talking about what we wanted to talk about today, you actually pitched the idea, say, hey, that first episode of Carnival of Tears is out, you know, our linked legacy show. What if we talk about a little, your, your character a little bit? Yeah. And so I'd love to do that. What sure. questions do you have for me? Yeah, come put, put me Patty on the spot. Whatever. You always ask everybody when they bring a character to the table what their major character inspirations were. And I know you've read a little bit into Galarian lore to come up with some of the backstory for Comstock, yes. especially when you're spewing all your lines about uh, where he comes from and that kind of thing. So can you reveal a little bit more of that, a little bit mm -hmm. more of Comstock's background maybe, and something about that area of Galarian or even Atrixia the Egg Mother? Yes, yes. So building characters for me doesn't always, but usually starts at picking a class. And that's that's where I started this time. I looked at what I've played so far on the show, what I'm playing off the show in our off-show games, and what I wanted to do for a long-term character. And Comstock is just for this module. So I'm like, hey, why don't I do what I did with Saw. Play a class that doesn't really 
stand out to me. Maybe just because I want some a little experience with it, but maybe not something that I would want to play long term. That's a gunslinger. I think it's an interesting class. I think it's a cool class, but I think it has some inherent flaws. So I took the I took that. Let's let's figure out how to how to make a gunslinger fun. Got to do a weird archetype, of course. Found this racial archetype, the bushwhacker, which basically crosses over the rogue into the gunslinger class a little bit. So this is a archetype specifically for kobolds, which gives them ranged sneak attack. But it's very specific, right? Where with a rogue, you get sneak attack if your opponent is denied their dex bonus to their AC or if they're flanking. This only works for the range bushwhacker if the um, if the opponent is denied their dex bonus. So I had to get creative with how I actually mechanically built this character to make that feasible. I stocked up on a lot of invisibility potions. Mm -hmm. I took two. I invested two feats to get a ranged bluff check that denies uh, dex to my my target, and I can do that as a move action. Well, what does that mean? Because the action economy for wielding a gun in Pathfinder is severely taxing. And I already used up all my feats on my bluff shit. So I couldn't get like rapid reload and stuff. So I then worked my way into the actual firearm itself. Well, what's going to work? The Pepperbox pistol. I got six shots before I need to consider reloading because I can switch barrels as a, as a free action. So that's just kind of my mechanical thoughts of making this even relatively viable. I've got 33 HP, so I will probably die this module. <laughs> um, and I, there's just a lot of kind of fun stuff he can do. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the actual character inspiration. So my character's name, Comstock and Paddywhacker, are both inspired by Bioshock Infinite, which is one of my favorite games ever. The Paddywhacker is the revolver in that game, mm -hmm. is the name of the revolver. And I thought that was cool because I was using a pepper box. And then I just like the name Comstock, which is the which is the villain of that of that game. So What's the deal with the kobolds? I had to do a lot of homework before I brought this character on the show to figure out how kobolds fit into society. <laughs> and uh, the, the long and short answer is they really don't. They don't, really. They don't. Well, in first edition, they don't. So they are these little tricksy mini dragons almost. Um, the thing about... The kobolds is their their history is a little little unclear, but they believe that they have some basis in um, in a in a myth that Apsu, the dragon god, had a son. Uh, his son's name was Dahak, D A H A K, oh, yeah. Dahak, um, and he created metallic dragons to hunt. And then Apsu stopped him, but pieces of the metallic dragon souls that Dayhawk had hunted ended up turning into kobolds. Probably not true. Probably not, considering kobolds come in metallic and chromatic varieties. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah, kobolds come in a variety of colors. I picked orange because I thought that would look good on a mini. And the way their society works is... They are generally subterranean beasts. They hide out under underground and they're experts at building traps. So a lot of times 
in a game or in Pathfinder fiction, adventurers or um, just some unlucky soul is going to be exploring the Darklands and won't realize that they've actually gotten significantly far into Cobalt territory before they trigger a trap. And by the time they realize that, they're like, shit, I got to get out of here. When they retrace their steps, there's like a bunch of traps between them and getting out. It's almost like... Uh, they got trapped inside territory and need to get out, but the cobalts are making that hard to do. It's like the finger trap. Exactly. Actually, that's yeah, that's a that's a great little metaphor for it. A lot of cobalt societies are built around this concept of an egg mother. The the egg mother is responsible for monitoring and controlling the population size of their little clan. Basically, cobalts uh, think sex is gross generally. <laughs> And don't don't seek it out. Don't really look to reproduce until the egg mother realizes, hey, we're running out of cobalts here. And she pumps up uh, people in her tribe with a bunch of a uh, bunch of pheromones. And then they just start fucking. All right. Um, so, yeah, cobalt, uh, cobalt's not particularly horny and Comstock's not particularly horny either. I think that's important to bring up. Um, yeah, obviously, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to role play that. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know that. You don't see a lot of cobalt adventurers. They have pretty significant penalties when you're building one. Yeah, what's that? Uh, what's that stat array? Oh, it's uh, absolute dog shit, Griffin. So, cobalts get a minus four on their strength. They get a minus two on their con, and they get a plus two in their dexterity. Dexterity is good for me. Um, I talked about my 36 hit points earlier. So let me just read you my uh, my core stats if you're cool sure. With that. This was a 20 point buy, right? 20 point buy, nothing special. Um, let's talk about what I needed to make my build work. Needed dex because uh, I need to hit, and also gunslingers add dex to damage. Also, with uh, a terrible strength, a lot of my AC is going to be coming from my dex. It's good. Um, Con, I had to leave it. Intelligence, weirdly, I needed a 13 intelligence to get do my bluff stuff. So this character is becoming multi-attribute, which is very <laughs> bad with these stats. And I, of course, I needed wisdom for, um, for my grit pool, which is something that I haven't used yet on the show, but is very important for the gunslinger class. So let's read them down. Strength, six. Dexterity, 18. Constitution, eight. <laughs> intelligence 13 wisdom 16 charisma 10 all right so really i need dex intelligence wisdom and a little bit of charisma too for that bluff i don't have the charisma no <laughs> so ran out of charisma yeah very 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 difficult to make this uh, uh this build viable but i'm very excited with where um where it came so a little bit more about cobalts uh, before we leave the topic just because there's some fun stuff i would highly uh, encourage anybody that wants to learn more about cobalts to read their entry in the monster codex it's basically parts of it are written like a diss track on cobalts <laughs> the first line of it is, some, is something like cobalts uh, believe they come from dragons but do not possess the natural weapons, the strength, the constitution, the flight abilities. Basically, they list like, everything that's everything that's good about a dragon. Yeah, everything that's good about a dragon. <laughs> they uh, they talk about how kobolds don't have them. Kobolds uh, in general are very uh, highly individualistic in that they they believe that um, you know they're always right. 
they believe they're the lucky one um, uh, down to an individual. So uh, kobolds, I, I said earlier that they would live, they live a lot underground. Um, occasionally a kobold tribe will come across a dragon and begin to worship that dragon and then basically become that dragon servants. And the dragon sometimes gets pissed off and starts eating the kobolds when it wants a snack. But because every single individual kobold believes that it's doing the right thing and that 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 they're the best kobold that uh, none of them believe they'll actually get eaten. <laughs> believe they'll be the one. <laughs> That's written into that monster That's codex classic. part. Uh, very funny. Very funny. It's it's funny that you mentioned the diss track though, because in Tui, it they brought kobolds up to be a more playable race mm-hmm. ancestry, I guess. If we're talking Tui, because they don't have all those egregious penalties, but all of their ancestry feats still sound like they're diss tracks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's like it's shit like sniveling coward and like yep. stuff like that that are their racial traits, but they do get the the ancestry feat that allows them to faint at a distance. So that's oh. interesting that the bushwhacker had that already in wow. first edition. Yeah. Uh yeah that's re- that's cool. I did not realize that. That's that's interesting how that works out. Um yeah, just just a fascinating, fascinating race. I've actually played two kobolds in two separate games. I remember your one. So I had a kobold in our one book run of Curse of the Crimson Throne, where we went through skeletons over Scarwall. Yeah, I skeletons think that's book over Scarwall. And I also play one in Lunch Hour Heroes now. Oh, we're nice. running through the beginners box, but one cool thing about kobolds, even though their stats suck. If you want to make a divine dragon disciple in first edition, you can do that with a kobold and no one else. That's pretty sweet. Scaled disciple feet. Look it up. Hey. Hey. It works. I've seen it work. Paladin into uh, into dragon disciple. You could do it with a kobold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, kobolds also believe that they are the progenitors of every beneficial thing for civilization so anybody that is stronger than them is a bully anybody who um, is smarter than them is a liar anybody that has more or is wealthier than them is a thief and all of their things were stolen from kobolds (laughs) so we see that a little bit in comstock's comments uh in the mm -hmm. in the episodes that are on the patreon now yes and um kobolds will just take people's shit because they were, they they belong whether whether they actually were physically stolen from kobolds or intellectual property of kobolds. Kobolds just believe that they they deserve everything because uh, people stole their shit, and uh, if they were able to steal that stuff, uh, the kobolds were able to steal it back. Then clearly, that member of another race didn't value it enough to protect. Clearly, it. yes. So where is Comstock from? In Galarian. I know uh, you mentioned it on Linked Legacy, but... Yeah, Comstock is from the Aspidel Mountains, or rather, he's from a tribe that lives under them. Yep. Subterranean race. Um, I read somewhere that a lot of a lot of times those tribes will be centered under mountains. Don't really know why, but sure. And I, uh, 
I've got a big old poster map of the inner sea region in my apartment. So I walked over to it, found Andoran, which is where Falcon's Hollow is, which is where Carnival of Tears is, tried to find the closest mountains and saw Aspidel. <laughs> so I don't know for sure whether or not there is a canon tribe of kobolds that lives under the Aspidel Mountains, but mine does now. So what what actual draconic heritage is he from? Is there an orange dragon option? I didn't think orange dragons were a thing. Mm. Probably not. Is Let- he a red dragon, maybe? I'm just curious what, like, if you were to take the breath weapon and stuff, what you would get. That's a that's a great question. I know what you're what you're asking here. I'm gonna look up my yeah, so, so Griff, I, th- I think where, where you're going with this is an alternate racial trait called Dragon Scaled, which oh, has specific okay. scaling. Yeah. yeah, I forgot it was an alternate racial trait. Yes, and that's, that's why it threw me off for a second. I was like, wait a second. I didn't I didn't. I don't remember picking from a list. No, yeah, I just grabbed a color. But I'll just mention this because it's interesting. This replaces the Kobold's um, natural armor racial ability. Um, and there are a couple different couple different variants here. You could be a black or green scaled kobold, which gives you acid resistance five. A blue scaled one, which gives you electricity resistance five. Red scaled gets the fire resistance, and white scaled gets cold resistance. So if I were to take one, it would probably be red. That's that's close enough. Yeah. To, to orange. Yeah, you can also take the metallic dragon ones, which is cool. Similar thing, but you could go gold scaled and. Yeah. Um, the only. The only alternate racial trait I took was wild forest cobalt. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It replaces crafty, which is bad. Um, There's I, not a lot of good in the cobalt racials. I mean, crafty, I get a plus two racial bonus on craft traps, perception, which is good. Uh, profession minor. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, craft traps and stealth. None of which I'd probably use for this build. No. So then I just took Wild Force, which gave me that bonus to perception, and traded all of that for survival. Okay. Yeah. Not which, bad. Yeah, yeah I, I would I trade that, all of that for survival too. Yeah, I thought that was a good trade-off. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I guess I need to retcon in his backstory that he spent some time in a forest or some shit. I don't know. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that's how we. That's how we met uh, Godfrey. Yeah. That's how that happened. Boom. Boom. Uh, any other questions for me on this character or what's going on in Carnival of Tears or whatever? I don't know. No, I think we've talked about cool. we talked about Comstock pretty much. Yeah, and I do have some some other other ideas in the chamber per se about um, things I want to throw out um, for this character that I'm just kind of keeping to myself right now. I think it's gonna be fun. Nice. If, if my uh, 36 hit points and eight con. Uh, don't get me dead in the next couple episodes. We're going to have some fun with this character. <laughs> well, have some fun. Remains to be seen. We'll find out. Anyway, let's roll into the listener questions. How about that, Griff? Sure. Cool. So our first one comes from user on the Discord, Damuth. Every group has probably encountered some kind of rut during a campaign, a disconnect between players, characters, and the story, or one of the participants losing motivation to play. How do you guys keep things fresh and running so smoothly after two years? Well, first of all, I'll just go ahead and say at least a small part of it is that you guys are all listening. We have to stay invested. Yep. We're, we are we are literally forced to stay invested, which is fine. That's not a that's I'm, I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's uh, it's there's some accountability, right? There's definitely accountability. This is a business. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that 
Not that we put business in front of fun because we never do. And we've always said that, you know, if this stopped being fun, we would no longer do it. Mm -hmm. But it is a business. Everybody has to kind of come to the table invested. You know, we pep each other up all the time, but that's kind of the nature of doing it as a podcast. I will say one of the other things that I think for a two-year campaign like this has kept it pretty fresh is the fact that we only do one to two hour sessions every week, but it's every week consistently and the sessions are short, which I think if you were playing carrying crown at home after this two year period, you probably would be almost finished with the adventure. I mean, if you think about some of the longer running Paizo podcasts out there, they're going they've been going on so long on one adventure because they're because they're recording it in chunks and they're recording it weekly and the chunks are not big i think your average gaming table would probably play three to four hour sessions Mm -hmm. if it was weekly and if it wasn't weekly maybe even longer yeah and i think playing it so frequently and playing it in short chunks and also the inclusion of like the constant <laughs> cliffhangers and shit that I throw in there keeps people wanting to play the next session and it keeps it from being boring. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know um, you go out of your way to, to um, introduce like weird tangenty stuff, which is, which I think keeps it really fresh. The performance combat stuff we've been doing lately. I That's a, it's a cool, interesting, like, Oh, if I've just been playing like sword and board hack and slash encounters for the last two years, I'm going to get bored with it. Right. But now we've changed it up a little bit and and things are fresh again. Uh, Roll the clocks back a year or so. And we were talking about all of the weird investigative trial stuff, which I know a lot of that was built into the book, too. But it was a change of pace from what we were doing and putting things in different contexts. So if all you're doing is basically using your your adventure path as a framing device to get characters and players from one out of the box encounter to the next out of the box and like straight out of the box encounter to the next straight out of the box encounter you're not gonna have any fun you're gonna get bored oh this week we're fighting a minotaur next week we're fighting a griffin the week after that we're fighting a bunch of skeletons just like you know that kind of stuff it it, it will get old yeah it starts to slog i think some of the techniques that we utilize as a podcast and feel free to take these wholesale for your home game. But I think the techniques that we use to keep listeners engaged with the show also keeps you guys engaged as players. Yes. Yes. And that's really important. Doing stuff like cliffhangers and stuff, really investing the characters in the story, letting everybody have a character moment, doing stuff like flashbacks where you get to give one of the players at the table time to shine and give everybody else a glimpse into their backstory not being afraid to kind of go off on a side tangent if that happens or if a circumstance happens in the party where the party wants to explore something that's off the beaten path from your adventure. Those are all things that are both interesting as a listener listening to a show and are also interesting for your players at the table. I I can't tell you even in our home games how much fun it was to just have a side quest where we went to another plane Mm -hmm. and, you know, where you're rescuing another party member from something it's refreshing and it keeps it fresh yeah just a one quick comment on what you said on something you said just a moment ago Uh, you talked about flashbacks i think they're they're great for for building characters out i also appreciate that we have to write our own flashbacks so i'm constantly thinking man 
what is something cool that happened in Matumbe's past that will that is still relevant today, and how can I put that into words? Same thing with Saw or any other character I've I've done. You know, what what kind of what little bite-sized narrative can I construct to deliver at a future session that will you know paint my character in a different light or put something into context that he said or did and that does help keep me engaged you know not necessarily forcing your players but encouraging your players to um to develop their character so now i'm a little bit more invested in my character i'm thinking about the past and the future and the present and um i i, I want to keep coming back every week yeah that helps another thing that i think has helped us personally as a group do this kind of thing for two years is the variety at which we diversify our off pod games or even other recorded stuff. Mm -hmm. I think if we did Gothic horror by itself for so long and didn't have something like an off pod, right? Return of the rune Lords game or uh, attack of the swarm game with you, me and some of the STF crew Mm -hmm. or, uh, or stuff like playing Plague Stone and the Slithering and that kind of stuff off pod. I think giving other people in your friend group the opportunity to GM something and letting them kind of either trade off or pick another night a week to run something makes everything a little bit more fresh and fun because you're not constantly playing the same exact thing. I know that kind of goes against being super invested in your characters and campaign, but I think it helps to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. The, the, the genre, the genre switches help too. you know, if we were, if we were running carrying crown and then our off pod games were like strange aeons and tyrants grass, I'd be like, okay, I'm, this is, this is enough of this shit. It's a fucking lot of Ustalov, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, off off pod, we're playing Return of the Rune Lords. Chris is running us through Slithering. We got Attack of the Swarm happening way the fuck in the future on other planets. Everything's a little bit different in its own way, and that keeps me entertained for this sure. Is, this is where I think, you know, you'll you'll listen to our Linked Legacy episode one, but if you become a patron and start listening through our plays of different modules, I think that can be a something that really freshens up your game table too. Like don't think you have to go play another adventure path. There's so many great modules that Paizo did that take, you know, Carnival of Tears, if we played it, would take a weekend. Mm-hmm. It'd take a weekend for us to play through the whole thing. It's 32 pages, right? But it it could give your group the much needed break that they need to keep playing in your main AP. So I would highly recommend checking out the module line, especially if you're playing yes. first edition. Yeah, t- look at what you're playing today that's getting a little bit stale and then try to find the module that is the least similar to yeah, what I'm you're gonna playing. I'm going to tell you, there, I promise there's a module for that. Yeah. Like whatever, whatever you're doing, there's a module that's directly opposite. I think there's like 40 modules. Yeah, there, there's a ton. There's a ton. Um, I think they're, they're, they're varying lengths too. You, yeah. You, you can get your, get your, your 32s, your 64 pagers. You know, they, they have some that are just play through this and you'll be one level, like one level the whole time. There's some that are, you know, take you through kind of like an adventure path book, like three levels of play. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting and pretty fun. And a lot of times when you start a module, because they start at varying character levels, you get more experience, like say playing a six yeah. level character, or maybe you've been playing a campaign for so long and you're in that rocket tag space and you really want to come back to kind of that golden 
like levels five through eight where you're you're just starting to come into your own in power and you can do a lot of stuff but you can't do everything i think that that also helps kind of varying the levels at which you're playing yeah absolutely agreed absolutely agreed well i think we've exhausted this question i hope that answered your question demuth um, we're moving on here. I've got a little two-parter question. It's less of a two-parter, more just two questions that were pretty similar. They're for you, Griffin. Sure. Um, uh, I'm going to give them to both of you basically at the same time. So, Adam, sometimes known as Datum or Space Daddy from Sun Time Foolery, is asking, as your players continue to get stronger in power, how are you managing slash planning to keep the horror elements palatable? Similarly, uh, Thomas or Max on the Discord is asking, do you feel it's more difficult to make characters feel the horror part of the game as they gain in power? Is high-level horror something that can be done in Pathfinder according to you? My answer, I think, is yes. But I'm curious. Well, actually, that last sentence was my sentence. That was not from Thomas's question. That was just me. I think the answer is yes, but I'd like to see your opinion, Griff. Okay, you have the floor. Okay. Yeah, obviously, it's it's possible to do horror at any level because horror is at its core atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I will say that it gets more difficult. It's a lot easier to run your players through a haunted house at level 5 than it is at level 15. The challenges that you throw at them can be a lot more deadly for a lot less bookkeeping, and the rocket tag stuff doesn't necessarily happen that early, so you can have kind of a sustained atmosphere of crushing despair combats yeah. that continually kind of grind the party down it's a lot harder to do that see our playthrough of book one of this adventure <laughs> it's a lot harder to do that at higher levels but it is possible I think something to keep in mind when you're running horror is always the fact that horror works better when you're able to sit down with your group before you even start running it and make sure that everyone's okay with the with the boundaries of the horror and also okay with the fact that you as the GM can kind of mess with their player agency a little bit. Mm-hmm. You'll see, you know, right now in the show, the characters are level nine. They're starting to get some powerful stuff. But when they're face-to-face with something like a, a powerful daemon that is like CR-26... Yep. You know, even even a level 20 party in that scenario would probably be frightened at the possibilities of combat with something like that. You take away their agency a little bit by forcing them into something like a, a tournament like I'm doing now, and it's not necessarily horror, but it is like them fighting for their lives still. And there are things like the like Freya's corruption that completely changes her character. Yeah. Like Matumbe getting possessed by the Lopper that completely changes his character that are horrific. They're horrific for these characters to go through and they're hard to go through as a player because you completely have to change your play style. Those are things where the player agency is kind of murky, right? I'm deciding that a corruption has taken place as a GM. And I'm, I'm giving them a role for that, but still, when it happens, a lot of the impacts, the negative impacts of that are on me. Mm-hmm. I, I think when that episode came out, a lot of people were like, 
you're just straight up evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get that a lot, dude. You get that a lot from the community. And, and I think that's that's the line you got to walk when you're when you start to get to higher level horror. You have to you have to be evil. You have to do horrific things, but you also have to make sure that the atmosphere is horrific. The atmosphere has to be scary. You you have to keep upping the ante because a level 18 character is not going to be frightened by the haunted house that a level five character is. So what would have to, what would have to scare a character of that level? I mean, you start to have to throw backstory bits into it and you start to have to throw, uh, things that almost seem physically impossible into it to, to amp up the horror for something that for a character that's basically a demigod. Yeah. So it's definitely possible. I mean, it's possible to just, scare people at your table with I mean I can scare you guys with a CR4 encounter oh yeah because it's all about how that creature approaches the there's, party and how they there's a big difference between a shambling skeleton walks up to you roll for initiative and it's it's completely dark you hear bones clicking down the hallway towards you you can't see what's what's approaching that kind of atmosphere change the change the change the the timber of your voice get into like really really make your characters lean in a little bit oh what's going on here this is this is fucked up this is scary um you just begin to start seeing uh you know a, a shadowy frame in the distance like use 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 language right yeah I mean, that's what the game is. The game is not a video game, so you have to use language to describe it. And there are a lot of ways where you can take something pretty mundane and make it horrific. Like, imagine, imagine to your same point, imagine instead of being faced with a skeleton, you're actually being faced with the moment a skeleton becomes a skeleton from a fresh corpse. And there like you the go. description you get from that of like the flesh sloughing off the bones and like there how it go. like tears apart the corpse and leaves that pile of mush and viscera. You can you can definitely that changes the encounter zero percent, right? But <laughs> but <laughs> it's yeah. a it's a disgusting visual for your party and it's a little more fun to have that kind of encounter too in, in horror where you're just seeing things that are strange to your character that don't happen all the time. Get creative. Get creative. Our next question comes from Big Blart Party Barge. Uh, he's asking Griff Steve, why are shoes shoes? I don't know. People uh, don't like walking on pointy shit. Give you some support. And if you had to pick an animal companion, what would it be? I'm guessing maybe in real life he's asking that question. I think having like a really cool, uh, really cool, like predatory bird would be dope, like a hawk or something, Um, especially if you could have some sort of way to communicate with it and be like, Hey, Hawk, go tell me what's down the street. You know, go look at the gas prices or whatever. Go look at the gas prices. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That would be a mundane use of your animal companion. Hey, I mean, gotta know when. Go pick me up a six pack. (laughs) Yeah, go pick me up a six pack. I think I I took this more as uh, Pathfinder adjacent, but in real life it would be cool too. Uh, I really loved when I had a bear animal companion. I had one when we played when we, our, for our short stint of uh, Iron Fang Invasion. Yes, and that happened. Yeah, and if the animal companion worked like a hunter's animal companion, 
that bond is super powerful in Pathfinder. So I really liked when Ultimate Wilderness gave you the grizzly bear instead of the standard black bear because it went from medium to large. So you could have like the fantasy large bear. I think we flavored mine as a polar bear. Mm -hmm. And it's just cool. I like the idea of a domesticated bear is pretty fun to play around with too because they when you see them act in in nature and stuff they kind of remind me of like a dog in some ways sure and they they do some weirdly like human-like things too so to have one of those domesticated that that reminds me for it we we did have a short stint of playing a little bit of book one of of Iron Fang Invasion, and I also had an animal. You did, in that, which ties to what you which, said. This is exactly what I just said. I had a, I don't, I don't remember what the actual size of the creature was, but I had a rock, yeah. ROC rock, one of those like big ass fucking birds, and I voiced the character as Nick Cage. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I had the the classic Russian accent. Yeah, yeah, that was that was fun. Zored beer. Uh, last part of Big Blart Party Barge's question is also when is Steve going to make Paul Blart Barian Uzmorph? Uh, it's horrifying. I probably won't, um, but maybe I think Uzmorph is oh, probably a little bit more viable in two E. So we did we did yeah. have this discussion last night, and I think it needs to come up. Paul Blart, if you watch Paul yeah. Blart Mall Cop, like he could be classified as several Pathfinder classes, in my opinion. And I think one of his most important traits is that dude gets the shit kicked out of him the entirety of that movie and is, like, fine. Yeah. So he definitely has some kind of DR. Oh, 100%. Like yeah, it, he's some sort of juggernaut. I, I don't know what's going on with him, but he also, between the trap setting he does and the, and the sneaking around and the... Uh, and the slides and stuff and how he knows every aspect of that mall. I think he's a ranger with favored terrain mall. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a very, very, very good observation. Um, I, I had a pretty hot take last night. Uh, I'll repeat it here on air for the world to hear. Um, Paul Blart mall cop best diehard sequel. And it was, it's great. Yeah, better better yeah. than better than any of the diehard sequels. I think I think he could works better as one. He could work well as a as a cavalier with his Segway as his mount. Yes. Or or yes. Or back to the ranger option. I mean that mount is definitely or that that animal companion is definitely the Segway. Yes, of course. Um, I agree with that a hundred percent. I mean he charged about thirty times in that movie on the Segway. And now, Segways. As far as I'm aware, uh, don't appear in Pathfinder, but perhaps there's some sort of technology in uh, Numeria that came from the stars, some sort of personal transportation device like a a Segway. So I don't know if that actually exists. I would challenge anybody out there to uh, to find me the Pathfinder equivalent of a Segway. It's it's got to be some kind of clockwork companion, right? Go ahead and. uh, tag us on social media with the hashtag uh, Pathfinder Segway. Um, <laughs> Pathfinder Segway. And let's make it happen, people. <laughs> Path Blart. Yeah, that's a good one. Blart Finder. Yeah, actually, fuck all that. Uh, tag us on social media with the hashtag Blart Finder. Yeah, give us your give us your best hot take on what class Paul Blart would be. And if someone wants to take him up to level ten and stat him out, I'd love to see it. 
You have to find a level ten module so I can play <laughs> Paul Blart. <laughs> um, okay. We have a final question here, Griff, because we are coming up on time and uh, we've got we got a lot to do today. So this one also comes from a Paul Blart inspired username. This is by Thanks Blart Tart. Um, never heard of this guy before. What is the one style of tournament you think you could win? Now, this is a deceptively difficult question because I am thoroughly convinced that I am not the best at any given activity in the entire world. Yeah, but is the tournament going to contain the best of that? I just I don't know. Like that's yeah. the difficult part because yeah, I agree. Like you, know, you yeah. have to start narrowing categories down before I can become the best right. at something. Name one thing that's special about me. It's going to take a long time to think of something, okay? So, um I I thought you know, what am I actually good at? Uh, playing a character Pathfinder. Nah, people are better at me than that. Like uh Doing, uh, you know, putting together Legos or some shit. I don't know. People are better at me than that. Um, uh, lots of things. Um, but then I thought, what was something I actually was good at? And in high school, I could play a mean fucking marching snare drum. I was really good at that. That was probably the last. That's pretty pathetic, right? That that's probably the last thing that I'm like, wow, I rocked that. But Just I really did. crushed it. But I did. Um, so yeah, maybe if uh, about. Uh, a little over 10 years ago, you uh, you entered me in a snare drum tournament duel. I I could if if I wasn't going up against the best in the world, I could have held my own, maybe even won. How about you, Griff? Yeah, again, very difficult. I think one thing that I am particularly good at is uh, describing the nuance between fast food fish sandwiches. Oh yes, of course, and, and, and I think and I've seen that in person. Yeah, so, and yeah I, I, can, the, I can I can uh, I can vouch for you there. The field of contestants there is relatively mm -hmm. limited as well, so I think a tournament in which instead of being like the Iron Chefs, yep. you are the taste testers of the of the various fast food fish sandwiches. Wow, providing a uh, accurate description. Yeah, sell that idea to the Food Network. I mean, the Food Network. I, I think I need to go directly to Guy Fieri with Weird. this one. Yeah, a show where the judges are the competitors. <laughs> Turn the whole thing on its head. <laughs> Best Food Network judge. Yes. <laughs> okay, but yeah, so fish sandwiches. Okay, I yeah, like that. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's one that I could win sure. if that tournament. If there was a tournament in that style like in a situation where like hey we're as maybe the food network hires like Mich the people that review michelin star restaurants and they've taken uh 15 of the top uh commercially available fish sandwiches and they've tried them and they've ranked them and you're saying that maybe like there's a situation where you eat those 15 sandwiches and you could probably get damn near if not match their 1 to 15 ranking yeah okay yeah, that's what, cool that's what yeah. i think that's what i think yeah very logical well realistically it's got to be the fish sandwiches right it's got to be the shitty fast food fish fish sandwiches yeah, it's not yeah. Gonna, so i think at that level i could compete if it okay. was like okay Tell me the top fifteen fish and chips pubs in Britain. No, I, I could not do, do that. that, right? No, it's not refined enough for that. But it, it is more than I think. I think the lack of refinement in the palate actually plays to my favor for the fast food fish sandwiches. So yeah. realistically, it's like the perfect blend of lack of refinement, but also nuance of uh, taste and familiarity with the product. Okay. Uh, yeah, excellent. That's a great answer. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, uh, I spent a long time thinking about it, obviously. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, what could we, what tournament could we win at as the HLP? Oh Christ! Um, probably not Smash Finder. <laughs> yeah, that one we're probably not going to win. No. Second edition. That's yeah, already a huge gonna, detriment to us. We're going to get stomped. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe like a game show about seltzer, like alcoholic seltzers. We could Ooh, yeah, probably we, do yeah, well we on that. Yeah, crush that. Uh, we've tried a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Probably just. I mean, if it was if it was left to actual play podcasters in a uh, in a bracket style tournament, I, I think we might have the the drinking while still maintaining coherent story i think so yeah that's probably i think there was like a show called like drunks and dragons where they used to do that sure uh but i mean that show's been going on probably for years and years as a no they don't play pathfinder no they don't play well if it was pathfinder yeah i mean that's that's a little different yeah yeah I, i think that's probably fair well, we got we got uh, youth and liver age on our side, I think. Uh huh. And it and weirdly, even though we got youth, we got experience. I mean, yeah, yeah. I I actually thought back the other day and and was like, wow. Um, I have drank more nights this year than I haven't. <laughs> Sounds and, bad. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, it was just a real look in the mirror. Well, it's a pandemic situation. Yeah. Oh no, and I think that's 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 certainly what it is. It's uh Boy, I remember going into lockdown and being like, yeah, these five cases of beer are gonna last me the few weeks it'll take to get out of lockdown. Do you remember <laughs> no nope. do, do you remember back in the in the early Zone of Truce when we were first like separate mm-hmm. when I was talking about drinking all the weird shit in the <laughs> Yeah, pantry. and like most of that is gone and has been replaced with other <laughs> shit now that we <laughs> that we've had to buy for subsequent drinks. But I, I made it through that like weeks and weeks ago. Yeah, Jeez. And, and that was a that was there was a large quantity of stuff there. I'm I'm glad I got the got the gym in the garage. This <laughs> is a necessary addition. Need something. All right. Um. Ooh, Griff. I think that about wraps it up. What do you think? I think so, but I do think at the end of this, we need to talk about this future of the Zone of Truth. Yes, that's a great point. So the Zone of Truth, like like mentioned in your announcement or uh, or our blogs or wherever we, we talked about this, it will continue to be out from behind a paywall. It will continue to be delivered every two weeks. Nothing changes there. However... Um, if you subscribe to our Patreon at the $10 tier or above, you will be privy to a live stream Zone of Truth once a month. We are already planning uh, that for December, Griffin and myself. Um, what what does that mean? So eventually that audio is going to drop as a regular Zone of Truth episode. But you guys, the folks, the folks that are contributing here, you'll be able to control the show. So... What do you want to hear more of? Do you want to hear me talk about Comstock for 30 more minutes? That's that's up to you. Um, I mean, that's a choice you can yeah, make, is, I guess. You, that is a choice you could make. I would have to do a lot more homework about Cobalts because I pretty much exhausted a good bit of it. However, if you want to hear uh, 
a particular segment you do we do like hey i love when you guys do my favorite monster and you know specifically there's this really cool monster from the back matter of some random adventure path that i want you guys to talk about well that's not my choice that's yours you that's guys right. you guys control the control the narrative we have the back matter of that adventure path available to us now yeah and so so you got you guys control what what you hear also, because it's live stream, you'll be able to interact a little bit with us the whole time. Throw up some comments. We'll shout you guys out. We'll say, or maybe you correct the fact that we got wrong or something. <laughs> I don't know. It could happen. Uh, additionally, we're going to figure out. We pretty much have it figured out. We just actually have to implement it. Um, before those episodes go live, we are going to be opening up a voice mailbox. So you guys can call in. Leave a question with your own pretty voices, and you can hear that shit on the show. I mean, it it might be the same question that you would have typed to me, but instead of me fumbling my way through it, you can actually hear your voice on our show, and we'll answer it. Doesn't mean the regular listener-submitted questions are going away, but... No, it does not mean that. And if you don't want your voice on the show... Yeah, I guess that's that's cool, too. But... You don't have to do this. It's an option. Yeah. Um... Are people going to take us up on it? I hope so, because I think that'll be really fun. Uh, we'll pre-screen some of the questions, so, you know, don't expect to leave us a weird voicemail that makes its way onto the show that uh, says, like, some, I don't know, some weird political shit or something. It's not going to happen. Um, but And you will lose privileges. You'll lose privileges. We're going to, yeah, we'll... We'll, we'll clo- take the privileges We'll close away. the box. Well, we Hashtag cl- close, the box. close the box. No, we probably won't close the box. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much the future of the show that, um, we're going to be doing these live stream events. I'm really excited for them. We're going to be doing them, uh, on the weekend at what we hope will be convenient times for folks. So it's not going to interfere with any sort of evening plans for our stateside folks. However, we're going to do it a little bit earlier in the day so that, Hey, if you are not a Western hemisphere person, you, you can, it won't be a terrible time to tune in. You're not going to be tuning in at like gonna, two in the morning. Try, yeah. Try yeah. to keep it away from your uh, early morning hours. Yeah. I, I'm very excited about this because I, it, it's going to bring us closer to the listeners, man. Yeah. And uh, that's always a good thing. So that's about that. Yeah. That Unless is I missed something, that. but I think it, I think it didn't, uh, but more to come. We are, tentatively scheduling the first one to be about mid-month in December 2020 and just stay stay posted we'll announce it on this show we'll announce it on our social media um, but besides that is there anything else you want to say to the folks back home because Griffin I do believe you have succeeded your will saving you made it out of the zone of truth awesome I just want to say thanks guys huge milestone this past week uh, and we couldn't have done it without you Really appreciate you and uh, hope you enjoy what the future holds. Absolutely. Later. Uh, I didn't say finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.